0: This is UCD Business Impact, a new podcast series from the UCD College of Business, Ireland's leading business school. And each week we'll be joined by world-renowned academics from across the College of Business, as well as industry leaders, to discuss the most compelling business issues facing Ireland and the world. Our experts each week will offer insight, spark curiosity, and challenge you to rethink how you do business in a changing world. I'm your host, Emmett Oliver, Financial editor and journalist and lecturer at UCD College of Business. Now, I'm delighted to welcome onto our podcast edition today Professor Mary Lampkin Coyle, who is, of course, the professor of marketing at UCD Business School. And Mary has a long research record and a lot, a lot of expertise extensively built up over the years in branding, in the place of marketing in corporate decision making. And she has delved into, on the research front, financial services, consumer products, and a whole range of other sectors. So, very, very well, welcome, first of all, Mary. I wanted to look today for the podcast a little bit at the whole issue of marketing in crisis, in crisis scenarios and contexts. A lot of companies out there, a lot of managers, directors, people heading up marketing departments are thinking to themselves, and you know, this isn't going to be something they'll necessarily disclose to their friends and professional colleagues, but what do I do in an environment like this? I don't want to be seen as being opportunistic. I don't want to be seen as making the wrong moves. I don't want to be seen as out of step with the public mood. Is that something that you think marketeers generally are grappling with at the moment?
1: Well, yes, indeed. There's a number of different dimensions to it. The first is the marketing budget. And that's the most fragile thing of a whole lot in that for companies when they are under stress, as pretty well every company out there is at the moment, they have to consider how to cut costs and try to Uh, you know, make everything as uh, tight as possible so as to keep themselves going, to to survive, really. And one of the things that they can cut most easily is the marketing budget. You can do that, uh, you know, at the stroke of a pen, more or less, uh, subject to whatever contracts you've entered into with media and things like that. But by and large, it seems to be short-term commitments, and therefore it's something that can easily be cut. And because marketing costs go straight to the bottom line, you know, they affect your profit immediately. You can't amortize marketing spend over time. You've got to take a hit there and then. It's something that you can improve your performance by cutting the marketing budget very, very uh, easily. And companies, of course, do that. And there's all sorts of speculation at the moment as to how far spending is down and Many people are saying it's 30 to 40%, and that's across the full spectrum of companies here and internationally. Uh, So, in the short term, marketing has gone down by a huge amount. Uh, But of course, it could pick back up again uh, just as easily, but it'll be subject to how people are prioritizing their company finances over time. So, that's the first thing is how much money you have to work with. And then The question is what to spend it on or whether to spend at all. And if you're in some area where obviously business has been uh, stopped completely, like say retailers and so on that are closed, uh, you have to consider, well, do we keep advertising ourselves even though we're not actually able to deliver product And therefore, what we're trying to do is to keep some sort of connection with the customer. Or uh, do we simply say, look, let's just pause and not advertise, not do any marketing for the moment uh, and sort of go into hibernation uh, along with our owners, as it were, and then wait until we begin to see as the green shoots coming and we feel there's a bit of momentum there, things are opening up again. And we maybe do a bit of a kickstart and try to relaunch ourselves with a bit of a...
0: And what's your what's your hunch on what the, the, the better way to go is?
1: Well, I, I think that probably to pause for a lot of things. Uh, I mean, if you think of something like cars, nobody can... I mean, car sales are down by over 60% new car sales this year so far. Uh It's very hard to think of advertising away uh, energetically when you actually know that people cannot go out, they cannot sit in cars, they can't try them, they can't properly arrange finance because, you know, it's very difficult to do a transaction. In which case, it may be better to pause and to say, look, we'll consider that we'll try and do a bigger push for the second half of the year, maybe launching in August, September or something like that. I'd be inclined to think that makes good sense. Uh, And luxury goods in general are being very badly hit. Uh, The days of the the, the sort of good times of of, um, buying lots of high uh, grade fashion and posh handbags and all of that are very much uh, low priorities at the moment for most people. So it probably isn't a good idea to be doing too much advertising when you really know you're not going to be able to get huge amounts of immediate sales.
0: I mean, one of one of my own sort of little theories on this is every business is a set of relationships with customers, with obviously employees and all sorts of other groups. But with customers looking at that piece in particular, those relationships are frozen in a lot of cases at the moment. As you say, there's no transactions happening. And they will, we all hope obviously, on freeze at some point in time, either later in the summer or later this year, depending on how the virus goes. But it's not necessarily axiomatic, is it, that those relationships will be the same as, the, as they were before we went into this crisis. So things don't necessarily land back exactly where they were. And that must be a worry to companies that certain customer groups they had or very strong positions they had in certain segments of the market doesn't necessarily mean they have any automatic right to kind of reassume those positions once we come out of this.
1: Well, that's true. Uh, but actually, the short term effect is often not much in terms of the long term damage to brands. Um, I mean, for example, it's not quite the same thing. But when companies have had, say, reputational crises, like, say, United Airlines, uh, do you remember when they had an incident where some passenger was, oh, was
0: dragged off? Yes, they were overbooked, uh, Yeah.
1: Yes, and then Wells Fargo, just thinking of some American examples rather than ones closer to home. Uh, If you were to look at what happened to those companies, there's a huge media frenzy and terrible negativity around those incidents at the time. And the general consensus is, oh, those companies are doomed. They'll never recover from these things. But the first thing you notice is if you go and you look at the company's actual sales and profits and so on. You find it was hardly affected at all. That there's a kind of a mismatch between the apparent media uh, effect on reputation and uh, how the actual business is going on and how it stays going on and more or less is unaffected by this bad incident. And I think this is the same, except that there's no negativity here in that businesses are closed and their uh, customer franchise is interrupted. But there's no bad feeling. So it's a temporary interruption and people can easily get over those short term things in terms of their attachment to brands.
0: Yes, I was actually having a, a very spirited um, conversation with a friend of mine recently about that. I was looking at the uh, AIB issue with um, whether to charge for contactless payments and, and account maintenance charges, and I was uh, saying that I thought that the bank could potentially be damaged because of those incidents. But he was making your exact point that customers don't necessarily churn or turn over in a sector because of just a Twitter storm over twenty four hours. That it's a, it's a lot more complex and deep-seated a relationship than just one particular incident.
1: That's the thing. And an awful lot of that is not so much about relationships as it is about inertia. I mean, there, there was a fashion in marketing and a great deal written about it and textbooks to beat the band about relationship marketing. And it was all about, oh, gosh, you know, we've got to have this relationship with your customer and the customer is number one. But if you think about the relationship most of us have with the suppliers of a lot of things we buy, like insurance policies and our mobile phone contracts and our bank accounts. It's a very remote relationship for a start. We don't feel any personal connection necessarily with these companies. It's just that there's a habit there, everything is working well, and it suits us to keep it up. And it's inertia that keeps us with those companies as much as anything else. And the ultimate inertia is with bank current accounts. Regulators have tried to uh, increase the amount of switching of bank accounts in the interests of good uh, competition. But no matter what they do, you actually get very little switching of bank accounts. It's less than, I think, 0.1% of 1% in a year that people actually stay mostly with particularly things where they're in sort of a contract where there's regular uh, flow through of business.
0: Okay, let, let, that's a fascinating answer and I just want to kind of take that a bit further even beyond the banks uh, for a second you can see all these companies at the moment, and I'm sure you've seen them on Twitter and you've seen it on Facebook, making donations of you know medical equipment, making, um, sending in free meals to the hospitals and so on. And there's no doubt these are these are important. They're not just gestures, you know, they're actually helping people in a practical sense. But do you think that that sort of social giving and making that sort of big societal contribution for companies, do you think that's going to matter that much in the future, based on, on your talking about the banks there a little bit? Do you, do you think it's a little bit um, oversold as a concept uh, in terms of, in, in, at least in the marketing sphere?
1: Um, y- yes, I think uh, you could be a bit cynical and say some of these things can be oversold. Uh, I mean, uh, most significant companies in the last decades have a CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility Programme which is something or, they, you know, they have a foundation which they endow with some money and it's used for good, genuinely worthy causes. But it's always kind of incidental to their core business. And they do it because they want to be seen as good citizens and in their community and so on. And it's a good thing, but it's very separate and very minor in terms of their overall business. I would say the only case just observing companies at the moment where I feel the gestures they're making actually are doing them fundamentally a good value for their business is, for instance, Unpust, I think is doing a wonderful job at the moment uh, with the connection between uh, the postmen and postwomen around the country providing what's effectively a social service but it ties in so well with their identity and their core message to communities that it's an opportunity for them to reinforce their fundamental offering. And in that case, I think it's hugely important and I think they're doing an absolutely excellent job the way they're uh, delivering that service, but also using their advertising to talk about it and to integrate with what they're doing. And in that case, therefore, I think it's fundamental and it is really, really valuable. But when it's just a little add-on on the sidelines, it's sort of a nice piece of good citizenship, but it's fairly
0: marginal to their overall reputation. Okay, well, we'll, we'll see how that, that plays out in a few months' time. And I suppose the other thing that allied to that is, what is the brand? Is it the physical brand when you go and enter a store or a retail, or is it the online brand? And what I'd be really interested to know is we've all suddenly become acquainted with these new brands like Zoom, obviously we're talking uh, today, that's how we're, we're putting together this particular edition of the podcast, is does 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 do companies need to properly resource their online brands more? Like obviously, everyone has an online brand and they have a website and so on and so forth. But a lot of companies before this uh, COVID-19 crisis, it was, as you said, and to use it in another context, an add-on, they weren't necessarily that strong online are we going to do even more e-commerce now are we going to transact even more online because we've got an even bigger taste for it over recent weeks you can see the the demand of online orders that are going up things that would not necessarily be purchased online have moved online for the first time do you think that whole area is going to be a real challenge for the companies that were doing okay online but weren't particularly skilled and didn't have that real? skill set of kind of selling online do you think that some of those will be in danger of being left behind as this whole new world uh, has kind of changed for us in the last few weeks
1: Uh, well now there's a whole lot of different points uh, mixed in there I mean one is what's happening the the traditional retailers largely and how they have invested in online and how they're able to build Uh, or to to get back some business, if you like, that has been taken from the pure online players, the Amazons of this world. And, I mean, every one of the fairly significant retailers uh, has made investments in trying to build up their online presence and trying to do business that way. And we know that uh, for many of them, they've managed to get maybe 10% of their sales Online, But if you think of the amount of money and investment they have available to them, uh, say local Irish indigenous retailers, compared to the uh, Silicon Valley companies, the Zooms and the Stripes and so on, which raise hundreds of millions uh, in uh, private equity finance and so on and spend it on vast sort of marketing and PR programs to get them out there and get universal awareness, just like we now all have of Zoom. Uh, It's very difficult for say a small Irish firm to be able to replicate that, they just can't really. So it's actually a big achievement to have done as much as they have and as they are continuing to try to build on, to try to get a decent percentage of their business online so that they're at least getting some of that benefit uh, rather than expecting them to be able to compete with huge American enormously highly funded players.
0: Well I I was talking more about the types of products necessarily that are being ordered online. Obviously we know about groceries, books, Amazon has a whole suite of stuff you can order but hasn't this recent weeks given people a taste for ordering other things, you know, equipment, and medicines are now arriving to the door you know be left outside people's houses you can see a lot of people are ordering alcohol to the door whether it be home delivery of wine and so on and I'm just kind of I'd be very curious to know whether those habits have set in permanently are are just part of this context of COVID-19 and will just kind of melt away a little bit when this is all over or have people now going to become even more what you might call home-based consumers if that's the right phrase
1: Yeah, well, uh, it's it's a thing, you know, when we're selling products, very often with particularly something that is complicated, like driving a car or trying out a scooter or whatever it is, trial is very important. And uh, so that the person gets the feel of how this thing works and whether they like the way it works and so on. And in some ways, a lot of the things we're doing as a result of necessity now like conducting meetings online and interviews online, it takes a bit of learning to figure out how to do it. And once you've figured it out and done it a few times, you you now have tried it, you know it works, and it doesn't come with so much uh, difficulty anymore, and therefore you're more likely to keep up that habit. So it's like a, an enforced learning curve for people. And I think that's probably going to... It's going to affect office life and how people conduct business that we're all doing things differently now. And some of those habits will stick because we find they work well for us and they're easy and we can do it. And I think the same with consumers. If you uh, start to get things delivered that you never did before and you realize this is easy and saves a lot of trouble and you know how to do it, then the chances are you repeat that behavior. But not everything will turn into home-based because we know from being cooped up at home with no social contact that it's a tough thing to endure. We're social beings. We need interaction. And an awful lot of the uh, attraction of shopping uh, is is the interaction. We talk about the customer experience, the CX, uh, and we've now lost all of that. And I think people will be hankering to get back to some of that, to have the pleasure of window shopping and browsing and, you know, the Dundrum shopping centre and all these places uh, that we, we are uh, starved of that kind of social interaction and uh, visual stimulation and so on. So we will want to go back to some of it, but a little bit of the learning we've got from trying these new things will stick and will push us even further in that online direction on a path that we're already very much on the embarked on already.
0: I've been amazed at how many companies have publicly announced that they've slashed their budgets. You mentioned earlier in the conversation that marketing budget is so vulnerable. I noticed Coca-Cola slashing their budget in the UK just down to zero straight away. obviously that will gradually return as you point out yourself do you think it will be spent on different things in other words do you think the companies will reallocate whether they're going to online spending you know search engine based spending back to traditional media television you know there's a lot of people worried about whether terrestrial television as we know it is is going to be a viable advertising platform of the future so do you think that the the constellation of the spending the, the the mix of it will change after this? Or do you think it's basically a numbers game? If the numbers are there, they'll go with those particular platforms.
1: Um, I, th- I think it's based on numbers. I mean, media buying is a very sophisticated business. And nowadays with all the online uh, media, which are, there's fantastic metrics to show who you're reaching and for how long and how they're interacting with your advertising. that companies buy a portfolio of things on the basis of what will work best and reach their target audience most uh, efficiently at lowest cost, and also giving them the best representation for their product. Uh, And that has been steering companies down the, um, well, we all think we're omnichannel now, which means that we consider all of those things as part of one big mix. And the mix now is more than 50% online and uh, that has been a path that we're on for a long time and I think it's going to keep going that way that online is going to be an ever-increasing proportion of people's media spend. But fundamentally, they're driven by their objectives of who they're trying to reach, where they're trying to reach them, where they get the best... uh, representation of their product and so on. So that's the, the performance objectives are the fundamental driver and then the choices are the the medium to get there.
0: I know it's, a, it's been a little bit like a golden age revisited for the television set in the sense that you have families confined they are sitting around we've seen all the old movies coming out because a lot of live programming is, is dead at the moment or it's it's certainly in abeyance And you can see the idea of a nuclear family coming around the traditional television set, suddenly getting a a dust down, getting a re-envisioning, I suppose. Do you think that's kind of something that will still necessarily stay? Or do you think, look, those days are over. There isn't really very many collective experiences that we would have had before. And everyone consumes their media a little bit kind of on an individualistic basis with a pair of headphones or, or with an iPad or, or do you think we? it's a bit more subtle than that?
1: Well, I, I think that there have been some uh, benefits to families being uh, thrown together as we all are at the moment uh, by necessity. And it's very nice to see people doing things together and uh, so on. But nowadays, even young children all have their mobiles and their Uh, tablets their iPads and so on so media consumption has become very very fragmented so I think it's very nice if uh, by sitting together and watching a Netflix movie or whatever uh, brings people together and they look back on it as a a nice kind of holiday of a sort but I think the fragmentation is very hard to see it's very hard to see that changing.
0: And in terms of people sitting around board tables, uh, you mentioned that we, and when we started, whether they should be there reminding people that they still exist as companies, you know that, that sort of relationship should be touched up or, or given um, a new lease of life during this crisis. It, it's a very difficult one, isn't it? Because you're always in danger of being seen as opportunistic, uh, as being a little bit tone deaf and taking advantage of a, a crisis moment for the wider community. So that is a very fine judgment for marketeers to make whether it's just in the, the 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 copy they you know turn out or the timing of the marketing campaign, so there are some subtle judgments there. Is that the way you see it as well?
1: Well, very much so. Uh, but that goes back to the earlier part of the conversation where we're talking about, you know, if you're seen to do good things like giving medical equipment to people who need it and so on, is this going to benefit your product? Well, I think consumers are. Uh, very tuned into all these things and they know what is genuine or they get a sense of what's genuine or what is contrived or just a media opportunity. And if it seemed to be in any way cynical or opportunistic, I think they will see through it. And I think your money that you've spent on it will be thrown away. So uh, I definitely think that wise companies and wise marketing people are being very cagey about saying, look, maybe we're better to just go off air rather than be talking about something that uh, may actually do more harm than good in this current very, very uncertain and
0: difficult environment. And and one final one, Mary, before we wrap up, and this is is a difficult one, so you know, I, I, please bear with me on this. But in terms of the different sectors, as we come out of this crisis, you've got consumer durables. So we've mentioned the retail sector and um, financial services, and so on. Where do you see the first signs of kind of um, energy or life post crisis? What sectors do you think will be picking up the bit of business that does come out? Is, is, is it likely, in your personal view at least, it, to be a bit of a pent-up um, demand out there? Or do you think things will be very slow and people will be adopting a, a very, dare I say, puritanical outlook in the sense that they'll only be looking at the basic durables for quite a while and the luxury items are really on a much longer timescale before they start picking up any kind of momentum again? Uh,
1: well, like everyone else now, uh, crystal ball gazing is not something I have any... Uh, a special wisdom on, but how I would approach uh, understanding this is to say, first of all, uh, the, the pickup in any economy has to come from the demand side. So if you think of all of us ordinary people, all the consumers out there, we are the demand in the economy. We're the people who have to spend money. And uh, what do we spend it on? Well, in coming back from the last crisis, Uh, one of the things you notice is that all the things like cafes and restaurants and things picked up a lot sooner than big consumer durables, mainly because people can want to have small treats, you know, and even if they're financially under pressure, they can afford to get that nice cappuccino or, you know, small treats that brighten up their day and that make them feel a sense of normality. So I'd be inclined to think that the this recovery from the current situation will work from the demand side, from the consumer backwards, up the supply chain. And if you think of all of us who are pent up now, or who are you know, locked up now more or less, but we will all have this pent up demand, I think that people will say, oh, thank goodness we can get out and we can meet somebody for coffee, we can have lunch, we can bring the kids to McDonald's, we can do all these things. I think there will be a big surge of uh, activity at that uh, front end, if you like, of the market. And that spending uh, on those small things will mean that a lot of people will get back to work. At the end of the day, the largest number of people uh, in the country or any country uh, probably in terms of employment the largest numbers are retail and wholesale and accommodation and food service uh, and they're the areas where there have been the biggest fall-offs in jobs just recently well there's no doubt if all the cafes and you know the hotels and everything have to open again to meet the pent-up demand that is there they will have to take back a great many employees to get themselves going and so I think from it'll work back from the front end. And uh, then, obviously, people buying other luxuries or going back to buying new cars and all that, that'll take longer because many of us, so many people have taken a financial hit with losing income and they'll have to sort out their situation with their banks and their mortgages and all these other things that have to be sorted out. It'll take longer to get the bigger things under control again and therefore that'll affect the real estate market and it'll affect the banks and all the the suppliers, if you like, back up the supply chain. But I I have to say I've been thinking about it and reading a lot, but uh, but comparisons that are being made between this recession, there are the recession that has been caused by this coronavirus compared to the last financial crisis. And I think that we're in a slightly better position this time in that, first of all, uh, we don't have the situation of everybody being overborrowed. You know, there was such a problem of every uh, family almost in the country having too much borrowing as well as banks being overleveraged that there was very little room for manoeuvre and people were locked into negative equity and rent arrears and kind of structural things that were very hard to uh, overcome and took a very long time to get back to a situation where they could spend on normal things. Whereas this time round, we are much less borrowed because things have been more controlled in the last while. The, The banks are in a better position Government finances are in a better position, and also the government is taking such a positive. Uh, I mean, lots of governments are taking such a positive approach of trying to support people through this, rather than leaving people trying to struggle at their own devices. So my instinct is that the demand will be there. That will open up the uh, markets for a lot of things very quickly. And then that'll work back up the supply chain to the bigger companies and so on eventually. So I'd be inclined to think it won't have as long or as detrimental or an effect once we just get over the immediate crisis.
0: Okay, well, Mary, listen, thank you very much for the conversation today. Apologies earlier for the sound of a lawnmower. That is one of the uh, downsides of social distancing. Um, People do their jobs as they're meant to do them, but not necessarily at the right time. So thank you for bearing with me on that. And thank you for the very interesting conversation about what marketeers may need to do over the next few months and how the economy might look in terms of dealing with customers having a relationship with them cementing that and seeing it grow and develop even in these crisis conditions it's, it's been a really interesting insight so thank you very much mary for for coming on to uh, the podcast thank you very much